0: Good morning. Hi, friends. How are you? Good, it's so good to be with you. I'm rocking out. My she is called, hashtag, she is called t-shirt, promoting all the awesome women in the Bible except for me. Obviously, I'm not in there. Uh, But uh, we're talking about one of my favorite characters today as we continue um, sorting through this storyline, living out God's call in our lives. And today we're talking about Esther, this really awesome, strong woman in the Bible who just brings us so much truth and so much about living out God's call and what that looks like. So let's dig in. Uh, if you will, if you haven't already, open up your St. John app. There are sermon notes there for you to follow along if you like doing that. I know I always enjoy uh, following along in those notes. It keeps me online. keeps me focused. So Esther, whose Hebrew name was Hadasah, was a Jewish orphan, and she lived in Persia. Now Persia had taken over the Babylonian Empire. So at this point, she lived in Persia as an orphan, but she was in the capital of Susa. So she was still exiled along with other Jewish folks, and she was raised by her cousin Mordecai. Now Mordecai was a minor government official. He was also a covert leader of the Jewish community at that time. Now Esther somehow became queen of this Persian Gentile nation as a Jewish orphan. One of the reasons that happened is because the king, King ahasuerus I'm not going to say that a bunch of times, I'm just going to call him king. So he became upset with his former queen, Vashti, because she disobeyed him. She didn't follow through with a command that he had given her. So very early on in the story of the book of Esther, we know that king does not like when people disobey him. So this made way for Esther to become queen. So Esther, early on as she was queen, she earned favor in the king's eyes. And one of the reasons she did that was because Mordecai, her cousin, helped her know about an assassin attempt that was going to happen on the king. And she let the king know about it, and she basically saved his life. And that was a pretty big deal for him. He he really appreciated that, and he really liked Queen Esther, which was a big deal. It sort of set up this opportunity for her to have favor with him and to be able to step into this position of being able to save her people, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But then we have enter left stage the bad guy, Haman. So Haman was this influential guy who had worked his way up. He became um, an authoritative figure in the palace court, and he did not like Mordecai. And one of the reasons he didn't like Mordecai is because Mordecai disobeyed the king. He didn't do something the king wanted, and because the king didn't like that, it trickled down into the people that worked for him, and so he didn't like Mordecai at all. And so because he didn't like this one Jew, he decided, I'm not only going to wipe this guy out, I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm going to destroy them all. That makes sense, right? You don't like one in a group of people, so they must all be bad. Do you sense my sarcasm? Don't be like Haman. He's not the character in the story we want to be like, okay? So Mordecai found out about the plot to wipe out himself and all of the Jews in Persia. And so the crazy thing at this point, he goes to Queen Esther to help with this plan, but the king has already approved the plan. Haman goes to the king, tells him that there's a group of people that are disobeying him and not like them, and they need to wipe them out, and the king approves the plan. Now whether he knows it's the Jewish people or not, I don't know. We don't really know that in the story. But what we know is that the king approved the plan. He trusted the authority, and, the, and he trusted Haman. So Mordecai goes to Esther and lets her know about this plot to destroy their people, the Jewish people. So let's read about that today in Esther 4, verses 12 through 6. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Now them and they in this story are servants that work for Esther. So that's who the they are. So they reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Now I want to, quickly give you some history on this last line. Because you think, the queen's going to the king. How big of a deal could that possibly be? I mean, she's the queen. But at this time, in this culture, no one could approach the king. No one. Unless they were first called to approach the king. Even the queen. And Esther knew at this point she hadn't been called into the king's presence for 30 days. Approaching the king Stepping into his presence Without first being called to do that The penalty for it was death So she knows at this point That if she goes to the king About this request She could die Very easily Period So in preparation for that She has the people in her circle The Jewish people that are there And in Mordecai's circle to fast She knew she could not do this alone She knew she needed God's strength to do it. And Mordecai really hits the nail on the head for us in our own stories and for Esther to prepare her for this. For just such a time as this. I can't help but think about Esther in this story, even before she's presented with this opportunity to save her people. I mean, she's a Jewish orphan raised in an exile nation with a group of people who have been exiled. And there's some of her people from the Jewish community that are living back in Jerusalem at this point that are experiencing freedom and being able to worship. But she's not there. But then all of a sudden, she becomes a queen. I think about those Disney stories, all the movies where you have the princess that walks in, and it's like, oh, I get to enjoy all this. How did this happen to me? I'm so lucky. I'm so blessed. I just wonder if Esther had moments of feeling like that. And now she's presented with this situation where she's going to risk losing all of that. I imagine she's stuck somewhere between the selfishness of her own life and the deep desire she has to save her people and her family. Now, in our minds, Is timing ever perfect? Is timing ever right? Is it ever easy to do a really hard thing? To be bold? To share what we need to share? To stand up for justice? To defend someone? To share our belief, our truth? Especially when we're in the midst of having a belief or a truth that is so very different than the one that we have. Do we ever truly have the time, and are we ever truly ready to do that? We can always make excuses. Excuses are so extremely easy to come by because the enemy is always giving them to us. The enemy never wants us to be bold, to share our story, especially when our story is in line with who God is. But we need to remember, if God has called us to that moment, if he's brought us to that opportunity, we're already prepared. He's already given us everything we need to do exactly what we need to in that moment. And the more we step towards him in faith, the more he will shape us and prepare us and form us for more. Now I am, as a part of this series, we've been having people come and share their stories and stories about how they're living out God's call. And it's my honor this morning to call up uh, Reverend Julie Love from Kentucky United Methodist Children's Home to share with us some wonderful stories from that great ministry. Come on up, Reverend Julie.
1: Thank you. It is so good to be with you this morning. Living into the life of Esther and the call of Christ for such a time as this, In 1871, Methodists saw a time to act after the Civil War as they looked around Kentucky and saw many widows and orphans. And on March 18, 1871, Methodist Episcopal Church South Widows and Orphans Home was incorporated by the Kentucky State Legislature. For such a time as this, we began to care for youth at our first site on Fifth Street in Louisville. For such a time as this, in 1902, Methodists began a special offering for this ministry, which we are continuing today as our fifth Sunday offering, the next one, at the end of this month on the 31st. And I can tell you these continuing gifts are invaluable to us today. We simply could not do this ministry without your support. For such a time as this, we moved our facilities from Louisville to Versailles, and now to Nicholasville, and also incorporated the Mary Kendall home in Owensboro into our ministry. I could go on and on about our history. You're welcome to go to our website or the table out here afterwards to find out even much more. But I wanna share with you stories of changed lives. In 2020, during a pandemic, we served 889 children, youth, and families through all of our services, as we lived our mission to serve Christ by providing for the physical, emotional, educational, and spiritual needs of children and families. For such a time as this, a young man that I'm gonna call Sam, came to live at one of our residential programs. These programs are for youth who are 12 to 17 years old and who have been removed from their homes because of abuse and neglect. Sam came to us very withdrawn. I remember when I first met him, he could never even look me in the eye to talk to me. And he had experienced, we learned, neglect and abuse while living with his mother as she had provided him with drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes. And Sam had experienced sexual abuse from one of his mother's drug dealers. He dealt with his trauma by becoming a substance abuse, going into substance abuse himself. While he came to live with us, he received treatment for substance abuse and remained substance free. He enjoyed playing basketball, which helped him stay active and build relationships with his peers. He told his staff prior to being with us, he did not trust in others uh, others enough to talk with them. And through his treatment, instead of bottling up his feelings, he started verbalizing his emotions and discussing his past trauma. He stated he was grateful to be alive and to be given a second chance. He was able to graduate from high school while he was with us. And he's now reunited with his paternal grandparents. And our staff made sure that where he moved, he was connected with substance abuse services. I remember when I got to say goodbye to him, and he told me about his plan to go to welding school. For such a time as this, you made a difference in Sam's life. For such a time as this, we work with the Department of Juvenile Justice in 108 counties all around our Commonwealth. We provide case management support for youth who've gotten in a bit of trouble with the law, and we work with DJJ to keep them out of jail. Our caseworkers connect with youth each day and provide resources they might need and i want to tell you one of these stories while john was on the monitor he had difficulty adjusting to his father's rules prior to his um, getting in trouble he had been homeless and his mother said she couldn't take him anymore so he went to live with his father they had a hard time um, working together on the rules and he finally decided he would work, he would stay with his dad and work with him. After a couple of, um, he ended up going back to detention because he couldn't stand his father's rules. And then after a couple of days, he called and said, I think I would really like to come back and live with you. When he came back, he was on the ankle monitor for several months longer than expected because of COVID and the courts closing. And because of his charges, there was a big chance that he was going to be tried as an adult. But while he was living with his dad, he started going to church with his dad and stepmom. He became an active member of his church and started helping with the sound system. He helped mow the lawn at the church. The pastor there agreed to mentor John, and the pastor and his dad and Our case manager all helped him prepare for the GED. He was able to take the test at the end of August, and he was able to pass it on the first try, which is very, very unusual for somebody like John because he had been in and out of school and moved from school to school. He applied and was accepted at one of our um, state's community and technical colleges into their welding program again. The case manager, Ms. Tanya, said to John, are you afraid of being tried as an adult? He, his charges were so serious, he was looking at some serious time in prison. Miss Tanya said, John looked at me and said, "Miss Tanya, I'm sure I'll get a fair and just trial. But because of all the things that we were able to do to help the young man get involved, that his church was able to do, his father was able to do, he started um, preparing to be a successful member of Kentucky And the judge saw this and said, we're going to give you a chance and put you on probation. He was released from his ankle monitor, and here's the exciting thing. His pastor still mentors him, and he is almost halfway through his welding program. For such a time as this, you made the difference in a young man named John. I could go on and on and tell you about more stories about our community-based services that work to help families stay together about our independent living which is for youth who've aged out of foster care helps them live on their own about our adoption program and much more but i want to end with one more story it's about a young lady who came to live with us one of our residential programs She had had um, a lot of abuse and neglect in her life, and some tragic things happened to her. And when she first came to us, she had a lot of issues acting out, and our staff even wondered if we were the right place for us. But she kept working the program and doing better and better. And she was able to graduate from high school with us. And in fact, she started mentoring some of the younger youth who came to stay with us. She came up to me when she was getting ready to leave our care, and she said, Miss Julie, have you heard I'm leaving? And I said, I've heard, know that you are loved, know that you are prayed for, and know that you will be missed. And she said, I know that I am loved, and I know that there are people praying for me, which is really amazing, because when she first came to us, she wanted nothing to do with God. And then she looked at me with this mischievous grin, and she said, I think I will be missed because I'm kind of a favorite around here. (laughs) For 150 years, Methodists in Kentucky have continued to, to let orphaned, abused, neglected, and abandoned children and youth know that they are a favorite, that they are important for such a time as this Thank you for continuing to support our mission, to serve Christ by providing for the physical, emotional, educational, and spiritual needs of children and families. Thanks be to God. Amen.
0: Thank you so much, Julie. Isn't it great to hear good stories? There's just something about a good story. I mean, they just inspire us, they move us, they help us know that the ministries that we support, that we pray for, that we encourage, even though from afar, that we're making a difference, that God is moving, that he is present, that his plan is still unfolding every single day. Good stories are what happen when people step outside of themselves into something bigger, into something better. They do something they aren't sure they're even capable of doing. They do something with someone or they help someone who may not even want that help. And they do it even though they feel so uncomfortable or so scared or it feels crazy or radical. But at the same time, and you all know what I'm talking about if you've ever had this happen to you, at the same time that you feel all of this really hard stuff, you're also feeling this rightness about it like this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now and that feeling all of those feelings come from being disciples of God come from the truth that when we step out and we do things like that and we see other people doing things like that we hear these stories about these people whose lives have been changed because of the work God's doing that he is in the midst and in the presence of that It is God and his purpose, clearly and undeniably. And I want to share a really fun fact about the book of Esther. There is absolutely no mention or reference of God throughout the whole book. If you haven't read it, go try to read it and prove me wrong. That'll be fun. You won't. (laughs) No mention of God at all. But yet when we hear the story... When we read the story, we know without a shadow of a doubt that God is in the midst of that story. That he is in the details of every person's life who steps out in faith towards him and his plan. I want to share with you a quote from um, David Benner. Where did it go? Did I delete it? I messed with my slides right before, and this is what happens. But I'm going to share it with you anyway because it's really good. So David Benner, who is a psychologist who focuses on presence, which have you ever tried to explain to a child about the concept of presence, I tried to do this just this weekend with Summit, and it was all about gifts. <laughs> it was really difficult to do, and I realized... I'm not doing a very good job <laughs> with this. But David, David Benner says this, We cannot attain the presence of God. We cannot attain the presence of God. We're already totally in the presence of God. What's missing is awareness. What's missing is awareness. We read throughout, we hear throughout all of Esther's story knowing without any doubt that God is present, looking out for his people. What would happen if we looked at our own stories in that same way? We looked at our own lives that same way, knowing that God is present in the midst of everything we are doing. No matter who we're talking to, where we are, Or what we are doing that God is there and even better that he's already won the victory he is the victor no matter how uncomfortable we feel how unprepared we are or how nervous we are about the words we're about to say when we come to sharing the gospel what if we approached it as God is already there he's already the victor And he's going to work to make anything I do in this moment work to his good. His goodness is going to prevail. You see, God is always present. He's always with us. Now it's up to us to show up for him. It's time for us to be aware, to risk everything, to move, to believe, and to act for just such a time. As this. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you have provided us with the Holy Spirit that is going before us, walking beside us, following us from behind and living within us. To provide us with the strength and the courage, the peace and the comfort the words, the actions, that we need God to reflect your love. We thank you for the many stories we've heard today where you are at work and you are moving. And we pray, God, that you help us be a people, your people, that steps towards you, even when we aren't sure how or what or where you're going to be, that we step out boldly and humbly knowing that your plan is at work, and that you are moving, and that we are joining in your kingdom work. God, we thank you for your love, for your grace, and your mercy that provides us with these opportunities, this honor, God, to work with you in your great kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.